Community Players Podcast Standby. Places, please. Hosts and guests, places, please. House lights go. Hold, please. We are holding. Welcome to Places, Please, a podcast from Community Players Theater in Beatrice, Nebraska, and the fifth episode of our mini-series, Hold, Please, where we connect with past players from around the country and throughout the organization's history. I'm Jamie Ulmer, Managing Artistic Director of the Theater. This week, we are chatting with Dick Terhune. Dick, along with his dad, Terry, who we interviewed on episode one of this mini-series, were part of the founding board of directors of Community Players. But his claim to fame goes far beyond being a founding CP board member. Dick has performed on stage in many places and a wide variety of roles, but he is also a very accomplished voiceover artist whose work we have no doubt you've heard before, even if you didn't know it was him. He joined us from his home studio in Connecticut, where we talk about theater, voiceover work, and maybe we both geek out a little bit about old school Transformers. Not, not the weird Michael Bay movies, those are just terrible. Enjoy the interview. I am joined now by Dick Terhune. Dick, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Good to be back in the old hometown. That's right. You know, even if it's just uh, virtually. Well, isn't everything these days? Well, that is very, very true, for better or for worse. Um, so let's start off with a bit of your history with community players. Uh, your involvement goes all the way back to day one, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, and uh, what was it like uh, to help get a new organization started? Well, I actually go back to slightly before day one. Anyone who knows the history of community players probably knows that it started in 1976 when the town of Beatrice wanted to put on uh, some some sort of artistic presentation for the Bicentennial. And they decided to do a play. And they found a script called American Kaleidoscope that kind of ran the gamut of American history. And that group of people, that cast, that group of artists, the directors, they became the core group of community players. Um, I, I'm not sure what the exact timetable was, but I think it may have been uh, around a year after that, we had an official organization. And I was like 15, 14, 15 at the time. Uh, so what was it like for me? It was, it was truly an education. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was just dipping my toes into theater and I was seeing the love of theater all around me in all of these other people who loved it so much and their love was growing. And all we wanted to do was, was share that with the community and and so that's that's how it started and it was a it was a lot of work but uh it was a lot of joy as well yeah i i bet that was a exciting time uh just to to get the organization started and to be in on the ground floor especially as a young person it really was i mean i was blessed with the experience of those around me. So, you know, like I say, it, it was an education. It, it was, you know, maybe more than you'd get in an acting class, maybe more than you'd get in a college class, because these were people who had already been through it. These were people who were already doing it. And these were people who were determined to do it in Beatrice and in the surrounding area. And by God, we did it. And we keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where uh, I say sometimes it's it's best to go into a situation where you don't know what you don't know. Oh, if we if we had just, known what we were going to face at that ahead. time, yeah. forget it. We all would have run screaming. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> instead, we were screaming with joy when things worked well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we talked to your dad, uh, actually, as the first episode of this podcast miniseries, and he was the first president of the theater's board. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing that uh, we had asked him, uh, if in retrospect, if there was anything that uh, he wished she would have known or done differently. Um, and so I'm asking, kind of asking you the same question, thinking back to that time, are there things that maybe come to mind that you wish that you could maybe tell your past self about starting an organization? Hmm. Uh, learn everything you can from everyone around you. Always be an optimist and always be an ambassador for not just the theater, but for theater in everything you do, because there there is nothing more contagious than that enthusiasm and that love. And, you know, that's what builds artists and that's what builds audiences. Oh, that's a that's a great uh, catchphrase and, and just kind of uh, life lesson for people to just carry in general, I think. And everyone is welcome to use it free of charge. I don't get royalties off of that. So just run with it. <laughs> run with it. All right. <laughs> um, so uh, you were obviously involved in a lot of shows here. Mm -hmm. uh, what were some of your most memorable roles here at Community Players? I particularly remember being in the ensemble of The Boyfriend, which I think, yes, that was uh, the first show that was produced at uh, what was the old Elks Lodge in Beatrice, which was the home for community players for, for mm -hmm. a few seasons. Uh, I mean, that was, that was the beginning for me. There had, there had been, uh, I think, one other show produced prior to that in another location. Uh, but, you know, I, I was there at the start. And that was definitely magic. Um, also, uh, I played the jester in Once Upon a Mattress when the theater moved to Southeast Community College. And I, I'm trying to remember if that was my first solo musical role. Might have been. Might have been. That was fun. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, also a, a performance of The Apple Tree. I was in the ensemble for that. And that was great. Yeah. Um, what was it like uh, performing in that venue out at the college? I've only seen pictures of what it looked like before the fire. Um, what was that venue like? It was a really cool space. Um, I and perhaps others just kind of wondered, how how can you turn this big room in a community college into a theater? But we turned it into a theater in the round space. Uh, it had enough flexibility that we were able to move sections of seating or move sections of stage. We could be on a raised platform. We could be on the floor. So, yeah, I, I think you can you can produce theater pretty much anywhere. And it turned out to be a really great space with all the dorm space. We had areas for costume and and set storage. Uh, the ceilings were high enough that we were able to do to do decent lighting. It was uh, it's a place that I have very fond memories of. It was very sad yeah. when when the fire occurred, as as we all were. Yeah, that, that's uh, an interesting observation, though. A, a lot of people that uh, we've been talking to ha have really credited the flexibility of the organization in whatever home it's found uh, in producing theater, whether it was in the upstairs of the Elks Club or in a large room at a community college or converting a 
a motorcycle shop into a into a black box <laughs> right, uh, right that's been one of the real strengths of the organization it seems like uh, it's a recurring theme that i'm hearing from people as we're talking to them we are nomads and we are adaptable we have to be yes. in order to survive <laughs> yes um so let's talk about what you are up to now where are you and uh, kind of give us your career highlights in a nutshell well, I'll I'll try to do that as briefly as possible. Uh, I'm I'm speaking. Yeah, it's you know it's a podcast, so we can be as long as we want. <laughs> oh, well, settle in, kids. Here we go. Uh, I am speaking to you today from my home studio in Litchfield, Connecticut. Um, I am a voice actor, and my work these days is in commercials, animation, games, audiobooks explainer videos. I also do um, uh, uh, technical narrations, medical narrations, scientific narrations. And thanks to the miracles of technology these days, I am able to do that mostly from my home, which is great. So yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm doing and where I am in a nutshell. So you've been uh, social distancing and remote working long before it was cool and trendy. Oh, yeah. I mean, my job description is literally to seal myself in a soundproof room and talk to myself. So it's, <laughs> it's as if my whole life has been preparing me for this. Yes, yes. Some of us just talk to ourselves in general, you know, regardless of if, if we're in a soundproof room. Ah, but, but I, uh, I get paid for it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like you said, you know, you've been uh, pretty successful uh, with your voiceover work. How did, how did you get started into that? Well, I was in radio for longer than anyone should be. And, uh, <laughs> and, and actually, were you, in, were you in Marconi, you know? <laughs> well, slightly after that, slightly after Marconi uh. <laughs> rubbed two sparks together and made a noise. Um, but no, I... I started when I was in high school at KWBE in Beatrice. Um, those were actually the days when you could walk into a radio station and say, hey, are you hiring? And they would say, yeah. Um, <laughs> and actually, it, it came about that my dad, Terry, who is a barber in Beatrice, one of his customers was Shelby Hendy. Anybody who remembers that name, he was at KWBE for a long time. Shelby mentioned to dad um, that they were we're looking for a, a stringer, a, a reporter from the high school. And dad said, well, my son might be interested in that. And uh, <laughs> indeed I was, and I started doing that. And uh, some months after that, they said, hey, we have a part-time opening. Uh, why don't you come down and talk about it? So I went down one evening and they handed me a small stack of papers and said, you're doing the six o'clock news. This is how the microphone works. And this is the button you push when the commercial starts. Ready, go. Uh, oh, geez. Yeah. So that, that was my job interview. Uh, and I, I then apparently passed because they, they kept me on uh, three, four years after that. So, yeah, all during high school, I was working in radio and I was doing theater. After that, I moved to Lincoln, uh, worked at various stations there, also at the Lincoln Community Playhouse and Pinewood Bowl. So really, theater and radio always went side by side, if not hand in hand. So I was building a voice acting career all that time and then uh, moved to Connecticut again, radio and theater, radio and theater, radio and theater. Uh, started working in New York, radio and theater, radio and theater, until finally... 
Just over 20 years ago, technology and my ambitions caught up with one another. Uh, I was able to build a studio at home. And uh, at that point, I said, okay, I'm on my own and really haven't looked back since. So a few years after that, uh, I was picked up by an agent in New York and just started booking things either through my home studio or going into New York and recording. Um, and that, I guess, is the nutshell version of how that all happened. Interesting. So did you set out to become a voice actor? Or oh, no, 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 no. You just kind of stumbled <laughs> into. Uh, I See, I didn't realize that that's what my life was leading me to. I should have. You think it would have been obvious, the radio, the theater, right. the radio, the theater. Um, but no, no, I w at first I was going to be a movie actor and I, <laughs> I went, I went to Los Angeles and learned that no, um, that was not to be the case. And then, uh, came back to the Midwest for a while and then came East where I was going to be a great stage actor. Well, indeed I have been acting on stage, but it's really been more the, the voice acting that, um, that is, is what is sustaining me now. And actually the voice acting is leading me to other stage projects. And interestingly, just before you called today, um, I was looking over a script that I just received, uh, where I will be doing a voiceover role in a feature film. And oh, really? so it's like everything just kind of circles around each other and leads in other places. So I'm just going with it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, but you know, no one's career is ever the path that, that you think it's going to be, um, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, going from ambitions to being a, a stage or a, a movie actor, or whether, you know, you end up being an artistic director at a small town community theater in Nebraska for 23 <laughs> years, you just never know uh, what your career is going to do for you. Life is what happens when you've made other plans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, what are some of the credits and projects that you've worked on that you're the that you're most proud of? Uh, I always love to tell people that I am a seven foot tall werewolf. Because <laughs> yeah, but what are, what are your projects? <laughs> <laughs> and that's just for fun. Uh, that's yeah. just in my off hours. No, a few years ago, I was I was cast in a game called World of Warcraft. And uh, some some people may have heard that. Some people listening to this may actually play that game. And if you do, uh, then you might play as a race called the Worgen, which are a race of warrior werewolves. And I am the voice of that race. And it's it's kind of a funny story how that happened, if I may beg your indulgence to tell it. Oh, Go for it. Well, my agent sent me into New York one day on um, two calls. And the first one I went to, this is a true story. I have to preface this with it is a true story. Uh, <laughs> oh, now, now, now I'm like, okay, yeah, let's hear this. <laughs> I, I went in and um, I'm in the booth and they hand me the script and the producer says, okay, I want you to think of this as like an Asian Kmart. Okay. Sound Asian. Oh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, did you look at me when I came in 
uh, did you listen to my demo before you asked me <laughs> to come in? Uh, does Dick or Terhune suggest anything Asian to you? Uh, <laughs> and I said, okay, um, are you, what, what are you, what are you looking for? Japanese, Chinese, Thai, Vietnamese? What sort of dialect are you looking for here? I was just trying to get clues at this point. Right. And he said, just sound Asian. Oh, my uh, <laughs> so I, I did something that was probably a bad Jackie Chan impersonation. And I just left that audition thinking, okay. I, I never have to walk in that room again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so then I went to the other audition, which I think was for Osco, if that is still around, Osco drugstores. I don't know if they, they still even exist. But, uh, but while I was there, I looked across the hall to another audition studio, and there was a sign on the wall that said World of Warcraft. And I thought, ooh, I've heard of that. What are they doing? So I went over and I, I grabbed the side script. And it said, character description, uh, the worgen, a race of seven-foot-tall sentient werewolves. I got on the phone to my agent immediately and said, Anne, can you get me into that room? And <laughs> so she made a phone call, and probably about half an hour later, they called me in. I did the audition. Um and they booked me for it. And when they brought me into the studio to record, they said, you know, other people came in and they just sort of howled and growled their way through this. But you actually gave it life. You actually took it seriously and you gave this race character. That's why we hired you. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself right then. <laughs> yeah. And then they say, OK, now sit down. We want you to listen to something. And they played me some of the soundtrack of the game. Now, before I heard this, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a lot of fighting and, and snarling and slashing things. And then I listened to this beautiful soundtrack that they had created. And I was quite humbled by the level of the work that had already gone into it. So immediately I'm thinking, okay, now I have to raise my own performance to this level. And uh, went into the sound studio and... They had booked me for seven hours and they handed me like maybe two, three pages worth of script. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be out of here in two hours with this stuff at most. Right. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> so we went through the, the various dialogue lines that had been written and what are called emotes that players can insert while they're playing reactions and things like that. And then, then, we were done with that and those pages went away and they said, okay, now we're going to fight. And they bring me in like another five pages of reactions and actions in which I had to strike with a fist and be struck with a fist, strike with claws and be struck with claws, strike with a knife and be struck with a knife. And that escalated to sword, broadsword, axe, double axe. And at the end of it, I had to do my death reactions. And by that time, I probably could have given them a real performance because 
<laughs> yes, it took us seven hours. And by the end of that, I was a wrung out, sore, but very happy mess because I had given life to this race of characters that are still loved and played to this day. Huh. Okay, so that's that story. That's how that happened. Others, oh, other, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> other, other things that I'm very proud of and very happy to be a part of uh, for the last four years, I think it is, I've been the uh, national voice for the Little Caesars TV campaign, which is just a lot of fun. Um, the the two way. Are, are you are you the guy who says pizza pizza? I'm glad you asked that because <laughs> everybody asks that, and <laughs> no, I am not. No, <laughs> I am not the guy who says pizza pizza. I am the guy who says things like order the extra most bestest now with the most cheese and most pepperoni at the nation's best price, hot and ready at Little Caesars. I do things like that. That's my part. Um, I, I, I now need to order my lunch. Well, see, that, <laughs> and that's why I got the gig. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and was, uh, was really pleased this year that, uh, we got into the Super Bowl. We did a, a little Caesars commercial for the Super Bowl. And if you saw it, it was the one, uh, where little Caesars delivery, uh, is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then you cut to, Sliced Bread Incorporated, where suddenly things have turned very bad. And uh, Rain Wilson from The Office plays the CEO of Sliced Bread. And it's just this apocalyptic commercial that result, yes. that results in pizza delivery. And it was so much fun. I was, <laughs> I was grateful to be a part of it. And right now, one thing I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of is uh, a, an animated series on Cartoon Network called Transformers Cyberverse. And this is like a bucket list thing for me because I go back to the 80s when the Transformers, the toys and the cartoons first appeared. And yes, me too. Me too. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I had so many of those. And do you still have them? No. Oh, I, man. I, I was a fool. That and my G.I. Joe. Oh, uh, no. I know. I know. We threw them all away you years ago. You could have paid for your kid's <laughs> college with those things. I, I could have bought kids with those. You things. absolutely <laughs> could have. Yes, you could have. I still have a, a Generation 1 Megatron uh, oh. in box from when he was still a gun. Remember Megatron? Yes. He he was actually yes. a gun. So the toy uh, yes. was a gun until you turned him into a <laughs> robot. That was the last time you were able to get away with something like that as a toy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I have that and I still have some of my G1 figures and, you know, they're they're surrounding me as we speak. Um, oh. But it was it was watching that show and listening to the vocal performances of people like Peter Cullen and and Frank Welker, who portrayed Optimus Prime and Megatron. And, you know, I'm wondering why am I enjoying this cartoon so much? And the answer was, it's because these guys take it seriously. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they are really giving life to these characters. They are giving background. They, you know, they're maybe giving this more than it deserves. So <laughs> this is not just a half hour toy commercial. This is an involving story. And that, is the experience that made me want to be a voice actor. I said, I want to do that. And so, you know, flash forward 30, 35 years when a new Transformers series comes along and my agent calls me and says, um, do you want to go in and read for Optimus Prime? 
<laughs> and so after I... So you picked yourself up off the floor. Once, once <laughs> I did that and slapped myself a couple times to make sure I heard what I heard, I said, yes. Uh, and I went in and I did not get the part. And I'm really kind of glad I did not get the part because while I do a credible Optimus Prime... I did not want to be the guy who got it wrong. Ah, uh, yeah. So I thought, you know what? They asked me to come in and read for Prime. You know, that's that's a check in the plus column. Love it. I will watch the show and move on from here. Well, a few weeks after that, they called me in and said, would you like to come in and read for Megatron? And I'm thinking, yes, at last, the role I was born to play. And I went in thinking, yes, this is great. I'm finally going to be one of my all-time favorite villains. And I did not get cast as that. <laughs> but while I was there, they had me read for a couple of other roles. And I got both of those. So I was cast as Prowl, who is an Autobot strategist and weapons expert and tactician. I mean, this is the guy who's very serious. He knows his stuff. If you're ever in a firefight, he's the guy you want at your back and by your side at all times. And by the way, I just went into the Prowl voice doing that. So yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, hmm. <laughs> so, so that was fun. And um, what was even more fun was when I was walking through my local Target one day and I see me in the toy aisle. They, oh. <laughs> they made Prowl. So, you know, I'm standing there talking to myself as Prowl in the aisle and <laughs> security is starting to come around. So I just buy the figure and, and move on. But uh, they also cast me as, uh, as a character from deep within Transformers mythology. Uh, his name is MacAdam, and he runs MacAdam's old oil house in the Lower East Quadrant of Cybertron, where the finest blend of Energon is to be found. And he, it's kind of like this guy runs Cheers for robots. <laughs> Uh, and there's a great scene in our season one episode, which is called Mac Adams, where a Decepticon defector comes in. He's trying to join the Autobot side. Yeah, and I'm just saying this thing like everybody knows everything about Transformers, Autobots, Decepticons. Right, so right. I hope I hope you're all with me on this. Uh, That's right. People are like, this is a theater podcast. <laughs> why is he talking about Transformers? Because it's <laughs> acting. That's why. Uh, but we're now three seasons into the show. And uh, Prowl and McAdam have had several episodes. And uh, in this final season, season three, I also get to play some of the biggest, baddest, worst bad guys in the multiverse. So if you get a chance and you haven't watched Transformers Cyberverse yet, take a look at Cartoon Network. It's also on YouTube. It's fun. And you might recognize me if if you pay close enough attention. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, I have not personally watched it, but uh, I've got some time now. <laughs> that's so... true. You do. <laughs> you could you could binge uh, all three seasons in probably three, four hours tops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that is that is awesome. Uh, and uh, great that you've you've been able to work on so many really cool and, and diverse projects too. Yeah. Every day is a new thing. Uh, you never know what you're going to get it. Like I say, it could be a commercial. It could be a book. Um, I was hired a couple years back 
to do uh, to, to narrate a surgical training video by the World Health Organization um, for a procedure to correct lymphatic filariasis. Do not Google it. Do not ask me what it is. Do not look at any images of lymphatic filariasis. I will say only this. It involves parasites and man parts. So oh. when <laughs> they, I, I got the role, uh, I, I was looking at the script and they said, yeah, just just watch the video so you can narrate along to it. And I started watching. I turned that thing off and I said, you know what? You know what? I'm just going to record my part. And yeah. uh, if you need any retakes for timing, you just let me know. <laughs> uh, Some things cannot be unseen. I, you, yeah. I'm just imagining now and I'm, and I'm wishing that I hadn't. Well, okay. There uh, you go. So... <laughs> it's worse than but, you're imagining, um... by the way. Yeah, oh, I, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, so what tips would you have to someone who maybe is interested in getting into voice, uh, voiceover work? Uh, the first thing I'll say is don't let anybody tell you you don't have a good voice. Also, don't let anybody tell you you have a good voice uh, mm. because you have a voice and it's your voice. Don't think that you have to be sonorous and announcery the entire time you're trying to do this because that's not interesting. That's a character. And, and maybe that's the character you'll be called upon to play. But most importantly, what agents and directors and casting people and producers are looking for is the honest you. It's, it's the secret sauce that you bring to what they're looking for. So first of all, approach things with that attitude. If you're really serious about it, I also urge you to um, watch TV, uh, listen to the radio, listen to the podcasts, watch movies with your eyes closed. Listen to the voices, listen to the performances. Um, some of the most lucrative work in voice acting is in commercials. When a commercial comes on TV, I know the advertisers don't want me to say this, but close your eyes, <laughs> close your eyes and listen to the voices. You will hear things that you would ignore if you were just watching them. And just opening your ears is great training. You have to learn to listen. You also have to learn to hear your voice as other people hear it and not necessarily the voice you think you're hearing in your head. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was one thing that radio taught me because, you know, when... When you're talking into a microphone, you also have to put on a set of headphones. So you're forced to listen to your own voice, and it does sound different than you think it does. Get used to that as soon as possible. The next, Yeah, it takes a little bit to get used to that. Oh, yeah. The next thing I recommend you do is seek out training, seek out guidance. Uh, there are good classes and there are good courses available uh, both in person and online. Um, I don't know if there are any live classes available in, for example, Lincoln or Omaha, but I know they are available in a Kansas City or a Chicago or a St. Louis. Um, there are studios that are devoted to this. And if you just were to Google voiceover or voice acting classes in, insert name of town here, uh, probably a number of things would come up. Um, while you know, I'm guiding you that way. I also say do your homework, look into these places, make sure it's not 
just a place that's going to say, oh, yeah, you sound fantastic. Pay us $5,000 and you'll leave with a with a, an MP3 demo. Uh, yeah, that that's the kind of thing you want to watch out for. Ask around. Talk to other people you know. Um, if anybody would like to contact me about um, classes, training in your area, what do I know about them? Um, you know, I'm just an email away, dickterhune at gmail.com. I'll be happy to help you if I can, uh, because we only grow if we help each other. Uh, what else can I possibly tell you? Yeah. Listen, open your ears, get trained, be sure this is something you want to do, whether it be as a, um, a part-time gig as a side gig, or if you are truly passionate about it and, you know, feel that you have the means and can earn the means to do it, then go all in. Yeah, that that's some great advice there. It was also interesting hearing you say about, you know, watching a commercial or something and just listening uh, to the voiceover work. That's actually a, a directing tip that I give people ah, um, great. is, is to, as the action is playing on, on stage, it's something that I do and I have to tell actors sometimes, one, they shouldn't be audience gazing. But second, um, I tell them, I, I tell them, if you look out and I'm not looking at you and I'm looking like at the back of the house or I'm just staring at my feet, um, it's because I'm just listening to the vocal performances you guys are giving. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. if I can't, if the, if you can't tell the story with just the voice, your voices, then we need to concentrate on some other things um, and not rely on the gimmicks of the visuals. Right. So yeah, it it, it it's works across all all kinds of performance mediums. Um, so speaking of performance mediums, you haven't stayed off stage, of course. Oh, good heavens, once no. You, once, you, once you tread the boards, you can never not tread them again. That is so true. So I know, I know like last Christmas, you did a one-man Christmas carol. Yeah. Um, talk about that. Where was that at? And what was it like taking on a show like that? Oh, I am tremendously blessed to have a 1,700-seat Art Deco movie theater uh, 15 minutes from my house. It was saved from the wrecking ball in the 80s and converted into a performance house. And uh, they they also built in the past few years a gorgeous 300-seat studio theater. And th this is an arts organization that is able to draw uh, professionals and semi-professionals who have or do work in New York, work in Boston, work in Hartford, or have worked in other places, and and we live here. And we love the creative outlet that this place gives us, the opportunities that this place gives us. So I guess it was about a year and a half ago, um, a director here, and uh, she's also the executive producer at the Warner Theater in Torrington, Connecticut, which is the place I'm talking about, she and I had been talking about doing a one-man Christmas carol on and off for several years because we had both seen Sir Patrick Stewart do it on Broadway uh, back in the mid-90s. So we knew it could be done. Right. <laughs> and we had talked about it and the timing and the opportunity just never quite matched up. But we were doing a prediction of... Uh, Newsies, Disney's Newsies, a year ago, November. And she said, I'm, I'm thinking of putting this on the books. You want to do it? And I said, yeah, let's do it. Um, so fortunately, I, I had a rehearsal period of about seven months 
during which, I mean, the bulk of that time was spent memorizing. Right. And yeah, yeah, that's a lot to memorize, I imagine. It is. And the the adaptation that we were using still cut out a lot of the book, but it's still uh, an hour and a half to two hours of me on stage alone playing 30 characters, each of which has a very distinctive voice and personality. So that all had to be built. Uh, that all had to be worked. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I first started looking at the script, my mind was going to, oh, okay, can, is there any place in the theater where we can put a teleprompter so I can see it? Um, <laughs> is there like a Bluetooth device I can stick in my ear that won't be seen where the stage manager can cue me or just read something to me so I can stay on this. And as we went along, the the story does tell itself. It flows naturally. It makes sense. And once you get those voices in your head, they take over. Just let them work. Let them tell the story is what I told myself and was able to do it. I memorized the darn thing. And uh, we had some very successful performances of it, and it's it's an experience I'm looking forward to doing more because once you have the voices in your head, they don't want to go away. And so, so Christmas Carol will be back um, in various theaters at various Christmases for years to come, I hope. I feel like that would be like a bucket list kind of role oh, yeah. to take on. Yeah, uh, it so, is. And not for the faint of heart. I'll add that. Oh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of, of roles and maybe bucket list roles, uh, what other roles that you have done on stage really stick out in your mind? Uh, one role that I will always play any chance I get to is the devil in Damn Yankees, Mr. Applegate. Oh, that's a great I one. love that. I've done that one three times so far, and it's just always a fresh joy every single time uh also i i enjoyed playing the jester in once upon a mattress which i did with community players as i mentioned when i was still in high school um 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 um, um, um i played the lead in the scots play and that's all we'll say about that mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh also per, you know perhaps good training for a christmas carol is portraying the role of richard hannay in the 39 steps Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that let's see, you you produced that couple of seasons yeah, we back, did, right? Yeah. Okay, that's like what thirty-two scenes, if I'm not mistaken, and he is in thirty-one of them. Yeah, yeah, he's like in every single scene except for yeah, like a yeah, one. he le yeah. he leaves the stage once basically. That's it. So yeah, that was that was that was good training. That was good training for Christmas Carol. So yeah, that I yeah. I remember that fondly. Also, uh, the part of George Hay in Moon Over Buffalo, in which I spent half the show drunk in my underwear, and <laughs> you know I I could go on because you know really every every show, every role is a joy unto itself. But those, those are ones that, that stick out right now. Well, now it's time for, and this is the inaugural segment of this. Oh. We've been asking this on all, on all the podcasts, but I haven't come up with a name for it. And now we have a name. So it's the inaugural segment of Backstage Bloopers. Backstage where we ask, Bloopers! I, I may steal that. Okay. I just re use that clip every time. Here. <laughs> or some um, it'll be fine, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, where we ask our guests to share a behind the scenes mis mishap or story that can really only happen in live theater. So 
what is your kind of go-to backstage mishap story? Oh, that's an easy one. And it did happen on the community player stage. Uh, it was 87, 88. I can't exactly remember the year, but it was a production of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. And uh, I portrayed the charming prince. And Cinderella was portrayed by Julie Baronic. And it was a time of budget constraints. And the glass slippers, do you remember jellies? Yes. yes. They were like these, uh, these shoes that were, I think, made of, of silicone. And mm-hmm. it was like a silicone gel, so they were called jellies, and they were flexible. Well, we had a pair of the clear ones that were used as the glass slippers. All right, that's important to know. What is also important to know is that the climax of the show is when Cinderella and the prince finally meet again after the ball, and she's in her ragged clothes again, thinking that she'll never find her true love. And he's thinking he'll never find his true love. And then he tries the shoe on her and it fits and it's magic and it's her and they're in love. And then they're going to run off and get married. In our production of it, I, I guess to make that scene more mysterious, they added some, some dry ice fog just this low level of fog, just to make it like they're meeting in this mysterious place outside and there's a little mist on the ground. And at the last performance, they had a lot of dry ice left over. And they decided, what the heck, let's just use it all up. So they put all, now remember the reaction when dry ice hits hot water. It turns into fog, where if you have a little bit of dry ice, you get this nice atmospheric low-level fog. But if you have a lot of dry ice pumping out through a hose onto a stage, suddenly you're waist deep in fog. (laughs) And you feel like, you know, somebody in the orchestra should go, sound a foghorn or something. So the fog is rising on us, but there's something else about carbon dioxide fog, because what is dry ice but frozen carbon dioxide, that it condenses onto the stage. So Prince puts the shoe on Cinderella. It fits. We're in love. We're going to go get married. And what we now have to do is run upstage and go off in either direction to change into our wedding costume so that the scene can be changed and we can have the wedding. Okay. Now there's water on the stage from the dry ice. So big dramatic moment, Cinderella and the prince kiss. And then we turn to run upstage and Cinderella, the jellies, hit this water on stage and she does like a 360 degree wily coyote flip in midair <laughs> lands on her butt gets right back up and says see you at the wedding and, <laughs> and she then charges off fortunately unhurt and 
We both go off. We change into our wedding clothes. Big happy ending. Everybody's happy. The fog clears. Somebody mops the stage and it's all good. But <laughs> that always yeah. sticks out. Always. Yeah, that is so funny that you told that story. And I let you tell the whole story because um, in last week's episode of the podcast, uh, which we'll, we're recording this on a, on a Tuesday um, before the current week's episode comes out, um, Maria Luca Thyberg uh, is our guest. <laughs> she was the director, yeah. And and she told that exact story <laughs> from her perspective. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you may hear that one a couple times. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was just, it's obviously such a memorable um, event. <laughs> well, can I, can I tell a different one since, you know, I hate, I hate to do duplicate stories, but. Oh, well, you can tell another story. Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll tell one, one quick one. Um, this was when I did Camelot at Pinewood Bowl in 1984, I think it was. I played King Arthur. And uh, ironically, the performance was scheduled for a Friday the 13th. Uh oh. And, you know, everybody's going around, oh, Friday the 13th, everybody be careful. Something's going to happen. Well, we made it through the whole show. Nothing happened. And we get to the dramatic scene at the end where uh, Arthur is about to go into war against his best friend, Lancelot. And. And uh, a, a young boy has snuck into the camp because he's he's heard of the glory of Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table, and this lifts King Arthur's spirits, and and he thinks, all right, maybe maybe this was worth it after all, and maybe the ideals of Camelot will go forward, and and he takes Excalibur and he knights the boy, and and tells him to go, leave the battlefield, run far away, live, live, and and tell the story, and as the boy is running. Off stage, Arthur jubilantly hoists Excalibur into the air and says, Run, Tom, run! And as I'm popping my fist into the air with that sword, the blade comes loose from the hilt. Oh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's not a sword, it's a missile. And oh no, this, I, I'm just watching this blade flying into the air, arcing down towards the boy who is unaware that he is being pursued by an intercontinental ballistic blade. <laughs> and he made it off. I think it clipped just right almost at his heel, but he made it off. The sword goes clattering to the ground. Okay. So then I'm left there. What do I do? I got a, a Excalibur. <laughs> what? Huh? So, but I went over, I picked up the sword. I put it reverently back in its hilt as if to say, we shall go on. Because <laughs> when things like that happen, that's all you can do. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I was maybe you was like, oh, well, time to send this sword back to the lake. Um. <laughs> if I, you know, if I'd had a lake, I might have done it. But, you know, <laughs> the closest I had was the orchestra pit. I didn't think they'd appreciate it. They probably not. No. Yeah, I know that venue. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it's been great talking to you today. Um, is there anything else that you want to add or, or any message to uh, any of the Community Players podcast listeners? Oh, to everyone, please stay home, stay strong, stay well, live forward, love the arts. They love you and share your gifts as you can, whether it be making a meal for a neighbor and, and dropping it off on their porch, uh, any virtual gifts you can share, you or you and your family singing or playing instruments, record it, put it up on YouTube. Uh, if you can make financial contributions to organizations or 
or workers that are struggling right now, please do so because we're all in this together and the only way we're going to get through this is together and the lights will come on and the seats will be filled again and we got to get there. So there you have it. Well, Dick, thank you once again for joining us and sharing uh, all of your insights and uh, and r- honestly really interesting stories about uh, voiceover work and uh, some of the history of, of the organization. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Once again, thank you to Dick Terhune for joining us and sharing his memories and advice about being a voiceover actor. This podcast is a production of Community Players Theatre in Beatrice, Nebraska. Be sure to follow us during this time on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube with the hashtag HoldPleaseCP. You can help us keep our programming alive by going to our website, BeatriceCommunityPlayers.com, making a donation, buying CP merch, pre-ordering your 2020-2021 season tickets, or ordering a gift certificate for future productions. Thank you, and stay safe because we want to see you again soon at the theater. Please stand by. We are continuing.